The Glasshouse Group is a vertically integrated California-based cannabis company with seed-to-shelf offerings. They grow, process, market, and sell a variety of cannabis products under several different brands and even operate their own dispensaries. While some of the big money players are still on the sidelines, Glasshouse has had real success already, and one of the things that makes them really different and interesting is their commitment to social justice. That starts at the top with our guest today, Kyle Kazan. He is co-founder, CEO, and chairman of the Glasshouse Group. Early in his career, Kyle was a police officer in Southern California, and one year he even led the department in drug arrests. What he saw and learned in this job led him to later get involved in LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. We discussed this and his path to launching Glasshouse, where he promotes diversity with an internship program and a commitment to hiring minorities that extends all the way up to the C-suite. If you're interested in what's really working in the cannabis business right now, from the chief executive's perspective, I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Also, please stop and see us at cannaboomwithak.com. We are focused on how cannabinoids and CBD can help you achieve better wellness, and importantly, how to find CBD that's trusted and reliable. If you do like the podcast, please subscribe, and please leave a review so other people can find the show. And here's my interview with Kyle Kazan. Cannabis is booming, and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom Podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health, and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. It's Tom. Welcome back to the Cannaboom Podcast. Today we have Kyle Kazan, CEO of the Glasshouse Group. Hey, Kyle, how are you? I'm good, Tom. How are you doing? Really good, thanks. I thought it was interesting that early in your career, you were in law enforcement and you came away with a perspective on the war on drugs. I did. And you got involved with LEAP? I did. After my career in law enforcement, I, um, I became a, uh, a, not only a member, but a speaker for, for LEAP. What compelled you? What did you see in your law enforcement career that made you want to take a stand against the, the war on drugs? I, I would tell you the characteristics I've had. I was a college athlete. I, I really try hard to, to be the best at whatever I, I do. So when I became a police officer, you know, it, it was crystal clear very quickly that the best police officers out there are the ones that are hooking and booking and are, you know, finding criminals and taking to jail. So you're looking for law violators trying to take guns off the street, things like that. And the low hanging fruit were, um, you know, people in possession of drugs, mainly methamphetamine, but, you know, uh, crack, heroin, powder cocaine, things like that. And so over two six month periods, out of my five years, so one year out of my five years, I led the department in felony and misdemeanor arrests. And so primarily that was for uh, drug usage. And then I would, I would raise it up to drug sales by, you know, getting them to sh- you know, share with me who to, who to go after. And so I, I got so heavy into it. At first, I felt really good about what I was doing. And then as I got to know the people because they were, you know, basically repeat offenders. I got to know them and they became informants and I started learning about their lives and realized, you know, these people are hurting themselves. It really shouldn't be. I mean, I, I, I have a badge and a gun and I'm here to help, help stop people getting victimized, their property and their person, not stopping you from hurting you because as I'm, as I was doing it, and I, I've been a registered libertarian since I was 18. I'm sitting there going, and and Pete, your listeners may be going, wait, you didn't, you didn't know that going in with your perspective. And I would tell you, I didn't put it together. And I would say during the course of my career, I became more and more disenchanted with that, and then focused more on gang members and things like that. But um, and then 
you know, I left in 1999, January 99, and I joined Leap somewhere around 2008. So, um, but by, by the time I got to 2008, I literally was just asked by some friends, what do you think of the American drug war? And I said, it is a complete joke. It's awful. It, uh, just, it just does harm. It's bad. And that's where they introduced me to Leap and um, liked, liked everything they, they stood for and still do and still do some speaking on their behalf. Well, and this whole topic has been in the headlines all this year as we now have more of appreciation for police officers and what they do and what they should be doing. And a lot of times dealing with drugs is maybe a distraction from real crime. I think if you watch the, uh, there's a great TV show, you, you're, you're probably familiar with it, back from the early 2000s called The Wire. It shows you what a, I mean, look, it's just a stupid game. And it's being played by good people on all sides. And you may say, well, they're bad people because they're breaking the law. You know, it's just a game. And um, and, and I'll bring up something timely, Breonna Taylor. If, if, uh, if we had a legal regulated market for drugs, and by the way, I know some of your listeners are like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Why aren't you talking about cannabis? But I would tell you, legalizing and regulating drugs is the least worst option. Mm-hmm. There's no great option here because, you know, drugs, alcohol, they, they, there are some poor side effects that come with it. Um, I actually almost take cannabis completely out of that. But when it comes to that, you know, the police officers, if they weren't serving a search warrant into that unit, um, none of that. The officer would have been shot. Brianna Taylor would have been shot. Bullets wouldn't have gone into a neighboring apartment. And we're doing this for drugs. Yeah. That's where that, and so on that level, I'm hoping that we start shining a light. Right now, the light's going all different ways. But if we look at the core root cause of that situation, it's the war on drugs. And the core root cause of a mistrust of black and brown communities with law enforcement is the war on drugs. And I think it's the second worst policy the United States ever had, second only to slavery. Eventually, you came around to the cannabis industry. You, you were in real estate for a while and then brought your energy into the cannabis industry. And I think you said something interesting there in that cannabis itself is it's an herb. Some people don't even consider it a drug. Right. Uh, it's, it's hard not to consider it. it. It depends how you define drug. I mean, I use it as opposed to Advil. I use it for anti-inflammation. And, and a lot of drugs are, are herb-based. So, um, but nobody, there's not one recorded case of an overdose from that herb or drug, however you want to call it. Um, but I'm a huge proponent um, of, of the medicinal aspects. And quite frankly, if you want to use it uh, to alter your consciousness, I'm, I'm good with that too, as long as you're not driving. Being in the business, how do we begin to dismantle the war on drugs? Banking is still an issue, interstate commerce. It's a very complex matrix of problems. Where do you think we start? Tom, we, we've, we've already started, and I'm, I'm really excited. It's, it's not where we need to go. We're going to both agree, on, agree to that. But we're better than we've ever been, well, well, since the war on drugs began and since we made cannabis illegal. People are still being arrested, which needs to stop. But to me... That's my the, the, the first focus is let's stop putting people in jail for this. Let's start expunging records. Let's do that. And it's happening. It's just not happening at the pace that it should be. Um, but I think momentum is, is picking up. And I think that you're right. We don't have 
banking is a pain in the neck and there's all kinds of problems. I try and take the positive side of this and say, again, where it's good as it's ever been, it's getting better. We, the more that this industry continues to grow, um, and, and the money side, the money side matters because that's what flips both Democrats and Republicans to being in favor is their unions, teachers, firefighters, police, they're getting paid from the taxes. And once that happens, you look at Colorado. I know Cory Gardner personally. He has to be in favor of cannabis because if that money went away, boy, what a what a fiasco would be for the uh, Colorado economy and government. And so the more that happens, I think the more good things happen. And, and you see, we have ballot measures. I think, uh, um, is it Kentucky, Alabama or Kentucky? One, whichever one is not legal is it's going to be on the ballot. We're seeing it happen more and more. So, um, but but as far as if you if you go down the list, you brought up safe banking. That should happen. Eventually, it will happen. Um, and what can we do? I think I think what you're doing is great. You're you're putting the word out. I try and do the same thing. That that cannabis, there's far more positives than negatives. Far more. And I think people misunderstand. It's not a binary thing where you a state flips and then it's all great. You're in L.A. I'm in San Diego. We both know California has a lot of work to do. The legacy market here still commands the majority of cannabis sales, I believe. You talk about yeah. tax revenues. There's a lot that's still on the table. We haven't brought those people in yet. So it's an ongoing thing. It'll take some time. You know, Tom, I, I was uh, I, I, I get asked all the time. You know, what happened with California and why is it an example from states looking to legalize to not be like California? And and I say, look, you know, as a native Californian, very proud of my state. I, you know, I love my state. I love the fact that cannabis and California are pretty symbiotic, more so than any other state or region in the world. Um, but we you know, there has been a multi-generational um, illicit market here. And um, I don't think we've done a good job to try and make it accessible to the legal market. Um, and I think, as you said, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. Um, hopefully the taxes become a little bit more reasonable. Um, but uh, eventually, just like I'm sure after 1933, when prohibition of alcohol ended, I'm sure there were all kinds of issues. But. I don't know what they are, but I can't imagine it was just smooth. And, and so bumps, I think, are, are to be expected. Tell us about the Glasshouse Group and what you guys are doing. You're, what I noticed from the website is how vertically integrated you are. Yeah. What, you know what? The only reason, you know, let's chalk, the, let's chalk the Glasshouse Group that it's better to be lucky than good, because that's the only reason we're still standing here today. And so many of our, um, you know, so many of the other companies out there, and we cheer for all. Um, they, you know, some went very asset light, said, hey, I'm going to go build a brand. Um, others said, hey, we were able to raise some money. Let's really stretch it and, and we'll, we'll lease or we'll take some very hard money loans. Um, because of my uh, previous successes in real estate, I had a lot of investors ready to, to come aboard. And we bought our assets, you know, so uh, the closest dispenser we have to you is Bud and Bloom in, in Santa Ana in Orange County. And we bought the real estate too. So we don't have a landlord charging us exorbitant rates. Um, and 
Um, and then our grows up in Santa Barbara County, we have we have two grows totaling 500,000 square feet of, of um, greenhouse, really high tech. And we were lucky, we, we followed Dutch farmers. We bought everything for cash and fixed them up. And so we're not as big as we could, but we vertically integrated and we did it to keep our costs low. And, and that has allowed us to um, not only survive, but, you know, we are, we're cash flow positive. And, and by the way, we pay everybody $15 an hour. Um, we are working very hard and we should have within a month or two to make sure that every full-time employee has a basic paid for healthcare. Um, so we're trying to do things. We feel we have a responsibility being in the cannabis industry, to, given the history of cannabis and, and that we need to do things better. And, and we're working with a woman who, is, you know, she has spent quite a bit of her time and money to help um, people that are in federal prison for violating the same crime that I violate every single day to get them out of prison. And so we're going to sponsor some people to, to not only try and get them out of prison, but once they're out to sponsor them for at least a year with a job and, um, and housing. So we, we feel like we have a responsibility to do more. And at the same time, to produce the best possible cannabis we can at the best possible pricing. And so we're really proud of what we grow in our greenhouse. And we're, we're proud that it's ocean air from Santa Barbara, beautiful sunlight. We recycle our water. We really try and do things the, the right way. It's, you know, yes, profit matters to, you know, all of our team members and to our um, investors to, you know, hopefully build an asset value, but not at the cost of doing things the right way by the by our consumers, our patients, by our team members, our employees, by our investors, and by the planet. There's a lot there, and I want to congratulate you on being sort of the bridge between the mom and pops, you know, the hippie crowd, and the corporations. Coca-Cola is not going to get into this until the regulatory environment is a little more clear. Big businesses doesn't like uncertainty, but you had investors who trusted you enough to say, yeah, let's let's go for this. That's a big step. And the social equity piece of it, I think, has to be part of anyone going forward who wants to do this, as you say, in the, in the right way, sponsoring people, maybe giving people, communities who have been underserved or, or worse, an opportunity to prosper in this new yes. market. You know, Tom, one of the things that I'm going to be challenging Coca-Cola First, the cannabis companies out there, because I think we have a bigger responsibility than, than Coca-Cola or Amazon. But I do think they also have. And, and I played for a, I played basketball in college for a, um, now a Hall of Fame coach named uh, George Raveling. And mm -hmm. George Raveling was on the Tim Ferriss show during the unrest. And he said, you know, we need to commit to being an agent for change, no matter who you are, whether you're black, white, Asian, doesn't matter. You need to commit to being an agent for change. And one of the things that I'm going to be challenging other companies is for one, you know, 1% 1 of your workforce, we're about 300 people. So that would be three people to do a paid internship to, you know, the, the, the most vulnerable, the, the weakest socioeconomic area and go get and, and give some paid internships. The reason you have to do paid internships is because those folks they're going to need a job to make money. And so they won't be able to accept an internship unless you do that. And most importantly, make sure that C-suite is part of this. 
because this is this is how you take kids. You know, my son, my two boys, they spend time with a CEO. They understand my thinking. They understand how to interact with executives. The executives of the company come by the house. They come by the office. And so to kids, when I was an inner city school teacher after college for four years in South Central, the, the lives the life that, that my students were living, the life that my children live are too different. And the big word that, that we hear today is privilege. And that's and so the way to help bridge that gap is to make sure that the next generation gets gets a ladder into the C-suite. So at least they see a world that they're not used to. And, and I'll tell you, Tom, when I was a school teacher, I taught with the best and worst. It was a dumping ground for teachers that were all burned out. And it was also a place where the most motivated would go. And we used to take our kids every two to three months, several, several classrooms, you know, like three, four other teachers, we would commit to a Saturday and we would take our kids out for a, a day at the beach. And what's amazing is in South Central Los Angeles, you're 15 minutes, 20 minutes away from the beach. And I would say 70% of the kids had never even seen it. And so, and so one of my students reached out to me and, and basically said what a big impact those outings had on him. And so to me, I thought, how can we do this in a business so that you take some high school kids and you say, look, come look at what a C-suite looks like. Come look and, and set your goals. We all start doing crappy jobs, hopefully. I, was, I worked at McDonald's. I'm, I may have made your Big Mac some time ago. Um, but at the end of the day, I always knew where I wanted to go. My dad started a company, was the CEO of it, and took it public on NASDAQ. So I had access, and I was really privileged to – that was where what I aspired to do. How do we bridge that? And I think those – the communities that are, um, that are lower on the economic pole, we need to make sure we extend that ladder to those people to go all the way to the top. And I think – if every company in America said, I'm just going to do, we're going to do 1%, pay 15 bucks an hour to these kids and make sure that they get some real time and real access to the C-suite as part of learning business. I think, I think you might find there's a wonderful generation of people that uh, otherwise, you know, wouldn't have dreamt as big. Well, and you talked about the war on drugs and, you know, again, the wire and communities finding that they don't have options. And here you are showing them an option and nurturing them along the way. You know, that's internally. But as you serve your customers, it seems that you're thinking along those lines, too, because you have several different brands, right, for, for different do. demographics. We do. Glasshouse Farms is our staple brand. Um, that's and we just came out with a grower's choice, a little bit more expensive, but we have some limited runs that we get. We have some some people that are deep into the industry and have been kind of, I would call them originals, um, and they have access to some really cool strains. And so some of those, when they grow specially, are folks at the farm. And we have some, we have some growers that have been growing for 25 years. And so when they pick... We pick some. We're putting them specially in jars, and I'll tell you, I'm an active, I'm an active user myself. Really, really proud of that. It's one of the. I, I'm sure other brands would do the same, but we'll give a full money back guarantee if you're not happy with your product. Number one, we want to know why, uh, but two, we'll stand behind you, and we really want you to have a good experience with our product, and know that, you know, all this doesn't just go for us, but as you as you know, Tom. Um, every, we in California and cannabis 
are faced with the highest testing standards of any ag product in any state. I mean, I, I actually own some uh, pecan orchards in southern Georgia. We, it, it's a joke compared to what we have to deal with in cannabis. But I look at that as a great challenge. And it's great for the consumer because when you buy from the legal market, you know you're getting the best. And it's not just me. There's, you know, you know all, all the other brands out there too. And when you, and so I'm, I'm just super, super excited. Another one is field. I don't know if you do concentrates, Tom. I, I wasn't a dabber, but I'll tell you what, when you open up and, and again, field, I really love. There's also some other great concentrate brands out there too. But when you really, especially live rosin, which is made without any solvents, and, I, and I'm hoping that people learn more and more about distillate, resin, and rosin to find out, you know, about the differences of them. But when you smell the, the, the flower and it's been concentrated and you do a little dab, man, I, I will tell you, and I'm not your typical dab profile, you know, a 53-year-old guy, but I love dabbing uh, field. I'm going to have to try that. Honestly, dabbing has scared me a little. I mean, anything with a blowtorch, I, I kind of don't want to get involved with. But um. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, Puffco has something that doesn't require a blowtorch. It's got a little, uh, uh, it, it's, it's got a little um, porcelain cup. And so I, I, have to, I have to admit, I have a 20-year-old son who has a card. He has a medicinal card, so I'm, we're not violating any law. He's sort of my dab butler. He's in college. And we share it together, so he sort of tees it up, but there's no uh, flame I involved. When you were a law enforcement officer, did you ever dream you would be doing dabs with your son? <laughs> when I was a law enforcement officer, I didn't know what dabs were, um, <laughs> and I didn't have a son. I had no children, so. Uh, but the, the fair answer is absolutely not. Um, and I'll admit something on your show that I haven't admitted publicly. I did, you know, I I was I always hate hypocrites that say, you know, whether the Republican or Democrat, you know, like Nancy Pelosi and her hair, that bothers me. It's like, look, you're, you make the law, you enforce the law, follow the law. Just, just, you know, if other people don't, they do that at their peril, but you shouldn't. And so when I was a police officer, the only time I smoked marijuana was when I was in Amsterdam on my, on, as part of my honeymoon with my wife, my wife called me out and I said, look, I play, uh, I play, uh, blackjack in Las Vegas. It's not legal in California at the time. Um, and so, but, but to answer your question straightforward, um, no, I, I didn't see myself ever getting in this industry. And in fact, even when I was pushing for legalization, like in Prop 19 and in 2011, still, and I was getting calls from people asking me to invest. And I just said, nah, that's not for me. Only as the movement got forward, I met more people. And um, then I and also I, I was after my police career, I started using uh, cannabis more and I just and I learned a lot more through the process with LEAP. And so it, it was a it was a progression. So um, it's a windy, crazy life I've lived so, so thus far. And I feel extremely fortunate. But uh, uh, that was an extremely long answer for no way. <laughs> well, I'm with you. I mean, I didn't touch cannabis for a couple decades until I really realized it is a legitimate medicine. My brother had epilepsy. Sadly, he passed away because of, I believe, the pharmaceuticals that were too hard on his body. And last week, I talked with Kyle Turley, played in the NFL, and he yep. says cannabis saved his life. So I think, as you say, that we're continuing to see the stigma fall back 
and people realize that, remember the old commercials, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. Um, Those were very effective at scaring our generation away. I'm 60 and there's more boomers coming back now, probably not dabbing yet, but maybe we'll give it a try. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I like topicals. I like edibles. When I can't sleep, I take a five milligram edible and it it works like a charm. I'm not, you know, I don't have a hangover. I'm not risking anything the way you are with some pharmaceuticals. So I think as more and more people find that out, we're going to have broader acceptance. And I believe it's on the ballot this fall in five, five or six states. So I think that's right. Can I ask what, what do you, what, what is, what is your edible of choice? If you don't mind sharing? I like Kana, K-N-A-H-A. They have a nice Indica that comes in a 10 milligram gummy and I split one with my wife and we both sleep very well. Uh, Outstanding. By the way, that's one of my favorite things to do with dabbing is if I go a little bit stronger, I brush my teeth. I, you know, now we sound like two old guys talking, uh, <laughs> brush my teeth, uh, you know, dental floss. And then, uh, my son and I will dab and within 15 minutes or so, I just drift to sleep. It's nice. And it's not an ambient or something. Right. You know, a lot of people who have been socially drinking for a couple of decades, you, you start to get concerned about your liver or other things. And, uh, you know, here's an herb that, as you said, has never killed anybody and it's proven safe. So I think more and more people are finding that out. And, and Tom, you know, you and I, you know, being in that same sort of generation, you know, I live in a, I live in a city called, uh, or an area called Palos Verdes. And uh, it's, it's affluent. A lot of older folks like, uh, are, you know, when I say older, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And I find that there's there's can of curiosity and what gets them over is when people start talking about pain and inflammation and even we talk about covid where you have the cytokine storm and i you know my brother is a doctor and we talk about inflammation is one of the main problems now i I, i'm not going to you know go out on a limb and and say that it will stop it but i believe that I, i mean i take uh we have a cbd um tincture i take it four times a day because I like my inflammation down and think maybe if, if, if unfortunately I get COVID, it, it might give me a, a better outcome. And so far we've seen it with people in our company that have used it completely anecdotal. Um, but I point to either our product or Pop and Barkley or Mary's Medicinals as a great starting place because, you know, face it, as you get older, um, you know, you, you, you deal with pain a little bit more. And why take an Advil when that can damage your kidneys? Why take opioids when you could get addicted to it? Why take, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll share this with you. My wife has had both of her knees uh, partially uh, replaced. The, second t- the first time she didn't want to take Norco, so she took our, um, our very strong CBD, which is low THC, not hemp, but low. And she found great relief from it. So the second time she went to St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica, they were gonna. They told her they were gonna hook up a an opioid pump for five days to just release opioid into her body. And she said, "No way, I don't want it." When she told the nurse that, the anesthesiologist came in and said, "You know, uh, my wife's name is Diane." Said, "You know, Diane, this is major surgery." She goes, "No, I, I had it." She goes, "Well, what are you going to take?" And she said, "I'm gonna take CBD." And, and the woman was saying, all right, I need to understand more why you would do this. And that's all my wife took was, was our uh, Glasshouse Wellness 
which is the same as our Mama Sue brand, but it was just tinctures. And it, and she found great relief. If you take a little bit, you know, more on the dropper, it will get you high. And, and, you know, when you're in serious pain, it's not the worst thing. And also to help you go to sleep. So I'm, I'm immensely proud. And, you know, I'm very good friends with Adam Grossman, who's the founder of Papa and Barkley. His dad is on the box because that helped his dad, you know, who was sadly fighting cancer and, and ended up losing his life to it. So that's the best way, I think, for people that are kind of curious um, to, to enter in and realize this is a wonderful, wonderful uh, herb. Every family in America has stories like this. Well, they will have once cannabis is more widespread, but I gave my father Papa and Barkley and he had metastatic prostate cancer, went into the bones and he didn't complain about the pain at all. And I know it's a very painful condition. My wife is taking CBD every day. She broke her neck last year. We went through the whole opioid thing and yeah, got away from those as fast as we could. You don't want to become friends with those. They're short-term acquaintances. She's now taking CBD and we ran out this week and she noticed. So I ordered some very quickly. Well, um, you, you've got my email address. I'd love to, you know, put some in your hand and so, you know, for your wife and you and, you know, boy, you've had a tough go with your, your dad and your brother and, and your wife. So I'm glad that you're friends with the herb um, because um, I, I am, I, I'm always handing it out to friends and family and just saying, you know, give this a try. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle, is there anything that we haven't covered that we should? You know, I know, I know my team members that listen to your show are going to say, hey, how come you didn't guide them to uh, our store? So if you don't mind a shameless plug, we would certainly welcome, you know, any and all, um, all visitors in Los Angeles. We have the Pottery. Uh, it's a dispensary up on Dennis and La Brea in Santa Barbara. We have one of the two legal dispensaries up there um, called the Pharmacy with an F. And in Berkeley, we have the Pharmacy with an F. And um, like I mentioned, the best entree in is the, the Glasshouse Wellness or the Mama Sue. They're both made from a, a strain we, that, that's called jellyfish. So it's really, really good. And, you know, I think it's just a, you know, I add it to my healthy lifestyle. We'll definitely look those up. And for people who want to look you up online, is there a place we should go? Yeah, they're going to start a Twitter account with me. Um, but if they if they just go to glasshousegroup.com, they'll 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 see me and my the spelling of my name. And if if they're if they can't sleep and and CBD and dabbing didn't work or the edible didn't work, and they Google me, there's so much out there that that will put them to sleep. Um, it's great for insomnia. Well, great. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy day to, to chat about this. Really great to get your perspective. And I know our, our listeners will enjoy this episode. You're welcome. Thank you for doing what you do because it's it's invaluable that you're spreading this. The other one that I forgot was Leap, L-E-A-P dot C-C. It's, that's worth, you know, th- that's social justice. And that's from, from retired police officers, judges, and DAs. Um, if, if people are feeling charitable, that's a charity worth worthwhile. And they're out there trying to fight the good fight to make society better. Thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you, Tom. Have a, have a lovely day. You've been listening to the Cannaboom Podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K.com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.